There we go again. Season eight, well underway. It's just been great. Three or four weeks in a row, just fantastic. Guests, very interesting people. Uh, I'm golf spiritual leader, as you know, Humble Howard from the Humble and Fred Show. Tim uh, O'Connor, a uh, writer of some renown. Coach Tim. Thumb. <laughs> He's been uh, a mental performance coach for quite some time now. And uh, my podcast partner for uh, over eight years. Still getting to know all kinds of things about Tim, though. Oh, what was the latest that intrigued you? Uh, well, I, I, spot. no, I was intrigued. We, we were talking about your uh, interviewing Joe Strummer back many years ago when you were working for uh, a music publication. I didn't, I didn't know that story. That was great. Yeah, that was uh, yeah. That's all the way back to 1998, and it got. I went to London, England. I was working for the Canadian Press as their music critic, and got to spend two hours with Joe Strummer in a pub in England. It was yeah. so cool. What's really cool is uh, 1998 is probably a few years before our guest coming up was born, but we'll get to that. <laughs> we'll get to that. Um, now, Tim, I want. I'm, I'm gonna. We're gonna talk about TaylorMade, and I just want. Oh, right. Yeah. I just want you to keep track of it, okay? I'm writing it down. All right. T-M. TaylorMade. So, uh, one of the, and, and in all the hilarity that ensued last week when, uh, you know, we had that little episode, um, what I did is I forgot something. So, to start with, of course, our program is always brought to you by TaylorMade. And, of course, this year, pushing the Stealth 2 driver... Um, the Stealth 2 Plus and Stealth 2 HD Carbon Woods, designed with more carbon, and as they say in all the ads, more forgiveness. But the ads, see, Tim, I got all, you know, I was laughing my head off so much last week that I forgot that we have our very first ad. If there's one thing we know golfers want from a driver, it's distance. But there's actually two things, distance and forgiveness. That's why TaylorMade designed the all-new Stealth 2 with even more carbon for even more forgiveness. Wait, did you say forgiveness like far or forgiveness like forgiveness? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. I'm hearing far. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Exactly. Rory gets it. The all-new TaylorMade Stealth 2. Learn more at TaylorMadeGolf.ca. So that's kind of cool. Our uh, sponsor, TaylorMade, uh, giving us some commercials to run. It seems very grown up, you know. A lot of the uh, big podcasts have that. So that's TaylorMade, TaylorMade.ca for all the information. And now, I would like to thank our sponsor, Oscar Bravo. Hola, senores and senoras. Chico y chicas. Who is Oscar Bravo? I'll tell you what, who is wearing Oscar Bravo is Coach Tim and myself, if you're looking at this on uh, the YouTube. I- I've never, I-, I don't know much about fashion, but I have never worn a shirt uh, a sports shirt of this kind that is so dang good and look at look at we got all different colors on today <laughs> resplendent yeah well could you why don't you listen you're more of the fashionista why don't you describe <laughs> why, don't, why don't you describe what it feels like wearing an Oscar Bravo polo oh it feels like I'm in a sweet, silky blanket that feels so cushiony. No, it feels really good. It, it well, just I, feels what was amazing. You were, my... you were, I loved where you were going there. What happened? You, 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 you went out of your character. Decided not to be a poet. Oh, that's too bad. <laughs> no, it's, a, it's just it's a, it's a shirt that feels really good. It just yes. fits nicely. Um, the collar's nice and sturdy, so you never get that... You know that, that look you get with some polos? It yes. looks like you're going to take flight like... Um, like Gidget or something? Well, here's the thing. Great reference. Oscar Bravo is a lifestyle in Sandy, uh, Sally Field. I guarantee one thing. Our guest, Casey Ward, is coming up here in a second. There's no way that Casey Ward would have gotten the Gidget reference because that's way before her time. Let's finish with Oscar <laughs> Bravo, a lifestyle brand dedicated to painstakingly high-end quality in extremely limited runs. They're only making 100 of each of these polos. Like the one I have is one of a hundred. Same with Timmy. And uh, they never make the same design twice. Go to whoisoscarbravo.com and find out more about this very unique brand. And I heard yesterday from one of our STDs, that's Swing Thoughts 
devotees, by the way, in case it's not a disease club we're in. Um, I heard from one of our listeners, a longtime supporter of this program, who went out and ordered an Oscar Bravo polo shirt. There you are. So there you go. Our buddy Rudra Rishi Maharaj is now, and he sent me a picture of it. I go, dude, you and I have the same uh, shirt because there's only 100 that were made. So now there's only 98 of those left. So if you want one, you better get it quick because me and Rudy and Tim are going to be looking good in it. Did he talk about the, uh, how it arrived? Yeah, the box, the whole experience. (laughs) Like, before listen, this Casey, we're going to introduce you uh, for real in a second. But let me just get your perspective because, like, sometimes when you get these very bespoke, high end brands, a lot of times when they the way they send it to you is part of the experience, right? Absolutely. Well, well, Tim and I didn't know that because this isn't nor- our normal vibe. You know, our normal <laughs> vibe is, hey, is that a stain on your shirt? That's us. Um. But when these boxes arrive, Casey, they're in these uh, like wooden, it's almost like a chest and it's very mysterious and uh, again, very sort of tailor made, if I may say, uh, to the person who's getting it. And, uh, and now, like, again, you're not officially on the show yet, but what do you think of these? These are pretty good, huh? I mean, they're unreal. I had no idea what to expect, and this is way above uh, expectations. <laughs> yeah, you're probably like, I didn't know these guys got dressed up for everybody. Well, now we do. Anyway, looking good. Let's thank you, my friend. Let's get to the uh, let's you know. Let's stop messing around. Let's uh, introduce our uh, guest formally. Um, looking very forward to finding out more about uh, this PGA of Canada professional. Casey is a sports performance specialist with a unique combination of education, experience, and passion, culminating in a well-rounded approach to high-performance sport. There's so much more to find out about Casey, but let's get right in and say, welcome to Swing Thoughts, Casey. We certainly appreciate your time. Thank you for having me on today. This is excellent. Can't wait to get going. All right. Well, yeah. we're, it's going now. This is it. This is the train. We're all on it. We're, <laughs> it's rolling down the track. That's right. It's happening. There's no stopping. So, so uh, Casey, you're the um, teaching professional at uh, Director of Instruction at Credit Valley Golf Club um in toronto but um why don't you take us through a little bit how you went from being you know you were like obviously a great amateur you won the um the ontario mid-am in 2015 you were a a medalist in the u.s women's mid-am why don't you just take us through how you went from being a really good amateur to becoming you know a professional with quite a an educational background very much not intentionally um, actually getting to where I am now was never, ever on my radar, uh, in the least. And I tried to, or I tried to avoid it basically at all costs when it came down to it in the end. Um, my, well, I, you know, started, started playing, uh, as a, as a junior, you know, as one does this day and age and, uh, played competitively, um, yeah, I had a, a decent mid-amateur career, um, and basically I'd finished up, I'd done a, a master's degree in kinesiology and specialized in biomechanics, and when I finished that, um, I wanted to design shoes, golf shoes, mm-hmm. in the worst way possible, um, and I had done some research for Nike Golf, I did a, a project for them, I was felt like I was on the right track, and I couldn't get a job designing golf shoes like I wanted to. Um, I think being a Canadian, it was a little bit harder than I thought. And um, I got kind of connected um, into coaching eventually, uh, working with Golf Ontario's high performance teams. And I found out that this was the first time that I'd experienced success in golf that wasn't necessarily my own. Not mm-hmm. that I had a ton of success myself, but, you know, I really just fell in love with helping other people experience success. And I thought, wow, this is something that I, you know, really enjoy. But I really like this amateur golf stuff that I'm playing and I don't want to give that up. And so I tried my hardest to find some way that I could do both. And in the end, 
I couldn't figure it out. And I had a long uh, chat with a good friend, uh, Scott McLeod. He's a, a PGA Canada professional and well-connected in the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and Scott, he, very well. Yeah, uh, he's a great guy. And he basically said, like, you know, just do it. Take the leap. Um, joining the PGA of Canada, and uh, I did that, and I haven't looked back, and it's been a great experience since. So, there's a lot absolutely of, uh, thrilled with that decision. You know, your story is can uh, can be, I would say, typical of people that you know excel in the amateur ranks, uh, and then find want to find a place in the golf industry. But I want to get to the what you know. There's what's there's a lot that's interesting, but a master of science, kinesiology, specialization in biomechanics, and then you said. I really wanted to design golf shoes in the in the worst way. And I'm curious because, as I said to Tim before the show, a lot of guys our age listening to this show are in various stages of breaking down biomechanically. Decay. Pardon me? <laughs> of decay. Of decay. So I want to start at defeat. And I, it's, I have a personal in, investment in this because... You know, I try and stay in pretty good shape. I move pretty well. But I've noticed lately, the last couple of years, my feet have really started to, you know, take the, a, a beating from all the walking in golf. And I'm wondering if you can just take it from me now. Why, why is that uh, such an important part of the biomechanical story? Yeah, I think now we hear so much um, that kind of the swing starts from the ground up. So your your feet are the connection to the ground, which helps us to pr- provide you know power in your golf swing, and so everything kind of starts at the bottom and works its way up the chain. Um, so, yeah, your feet are a really important part, and sometimes the footwear that you wear is going to help dictate um, maybe the the power that you can create. It's definitely going to dictate your comfort on the course. Um, and can influence how you move. So everything starts at the bottom, and if it doesn't work there, then we might have other problems kind of on the on the chain up. But what's wrong with, you know, one of the big uh, stories in golf last couple of years is those squares golf shoes. What's, what would you change about most people's feet? And, and, and what they're saying about gaining yardages, yardage, I should say, from wearing different shoes, is that possible? I think it's certainly possible. Um I can't speak directly about the Squares brand, um, but there's certainly something to some people are going to perform a little bit better um, in shoes that are maybe more rigid um, and some will perform a little bit better in uh, in kind of like a more flexible kind of running shoe um, style. And some, it may make absolutely no difference, okay. but it's all kind of what works best for you unfortunately in golf there's no one size fits all um you know pardon the pun (laughs) solution Mm. that was a perfect pun what are you saying pardon it it was dead on well i i didn't really anticipate going this way but it's it is intriguing and i'm sure for for many people talking about golf shoes is a is something they don't usually do um and one of the things that you know every once in a while you get into a conversation with someone uh, particularly some of of our vintage, and we'll talk about. Wasn't it cool when you were a kid or junior, and you graduated from wearing sneakers to golf shoes, and you because they had like the the spikes as we call you, you, that clickety clack sound. Mm-hmm. You know, it was uh, awesome. It was it really meant it sounded different. You felt different. You walked different. You know, as a golfer, here I am. I'm I'm a golfer, a, a grown up golfer. But are we actually? Um, losing anything in terms of stability, um, you know, or just our ability to stay, um, yeah, connect more connected to the ground, uh, whether it be in the swing or just walking, not using the nails as they're called. Those spikes, I think there's probably probably both good and bad to it. Um, having, if you think of. You know, think of Tiger, I guess, and uh, his knee back, you know, when he was having when he busted his ACL. And I think at that time, he actually his shoe design used to be that he would have several like of those hard spikes in his kind of Nike style running shoe. Um, And so that real like stability and those kind of nails into the ground are really 
planting your foot. And if you can imagine what Tiger's, you know, kind of knee used to be doing, which was that snap, and there's not a lot of movement for the foot to get around, well, that probably increases a bit of the force on some of your joints and and can be a negative. On the other hand, um, having that stability, if you imagine, you know, swinging on wet grass in running shoes, what that would be like, you can't generate a whole ton of power off of that. So there's kind of this balance, give and take. And um, for some people, like maybe like like Tiger, for instance, um, being nailed to, into the ground is not going to be such a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and for others, it will be a little bit better, but you, it's a give and take. I'm curious as a teaching professional, and I, and I love that part of the story where you said that working with Golf Ontario kind of opened up a whole world of, you know, being invested in other people's success and and how that can be intoxicating. And we both understand that. So how does having a master's of science in kinesiology and, and, and another degree just in kinesiology, how does that inform your instruction of the golf swing? It gives a lot more options um, for me. And, and, and you just have a plethora of different solutions that you could use as opposed to somebody who's just looking technically at the golf swing, you know, only has that kind of one aspect. Right. Um, I try to look at it from more of a holistic point of view um, that there's many different solutions. It might be um, that a particular player needs more of a sports psychology type, you know, that's where they're going to get better. It's not working on their swing. It's thinking their way around the course a little bit better as, you know, Tim well knows. Um, or it may be a nutritional, you know, component. Maybe you're, you know, the two beers and the hot dog that you had at the turn are really causing your back nine to, to slide. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm sorry, there's a lot I, of different components. Not to interrupt you, but I, yeah, that's a given. And we talked about that for eight years on the show. I'm curious though, knowing how the body works, are you as a teaching professional uh, able to come up with solutions? If somebody early extends, they might say, well, there, there might be the standard way to uh, fix that. But because of your background in biomechanics and, and kinesiology, do you find different ways of helping people move differently? Yeah, I certainly take uh, that into account. Um, and kind of the first thing that I'll look at with a student is how they move. Um, it may be doing a, a movement screen on them. Um, you know, that's generally where it starts seeing what can your body actually do. There's no point in trying to teach someone to move a certain way if they just can't do it. It mm-hmm. may work for a short period of time, but you kind of fall into this cyclical pattern of, you know, going, going away, it doesn't stick, uh, coming back, you do the same thing over and over and really not getting anywhere. Um, so it's really important to know what a golfer can and cannot do. And then you can present them with realistic solutions. So it may be, um, let's say somebody with limited hip rotation, um, you know, trying to get them to, to make a bigger turn in their backswing is just not feasible. So we could go with the solution of, okay, you could go away and maybe you see a physiotherapist or you Mm -hmm. see somebody in the gym and you improve your ability, which would be a solution with a much higher ceiling or not everybody wants to do that and wants to make that commitment. So we just need to find a workaround in your swing to achieve whatever it is that we want to achieve. And that's got a lower solution, but it's just informing, I think, the player who's in front of you of their options and and what they can and cannot do. Excellent. As an instructor, do you find that very often you have to challenge a student's belief system that he or she comes to you and thinks, Oh, I have to do this or that. I got to get my shoulders to this or that, or they come to you with something they saw, you know, on TikTok or Instagram about, Oh, this is the way I'm supposed to move. Given your background, do you find you have to actually challenge those beliefs every day about eight times a day um (laughs) you know once an hour or multiple times an hour um yeah there's so much information out there which is it's wonderful in some respects but it creates other problems in in other ways uh we have almost or some golfers have too much information and can go through rabbit holes and um 
you know, what's good for one person may be terrible for another. <laughs> so, um, you, you do have to give them the right information and sometimes it takes more explaining than, you know, than, than others. Um, but I think that's our job as a coach is to really, you know, uh, clarify concepts and, and understanding and that's whatever level it's on, whether it's technical or, um, you know, just how should you practice? That's our job is to give that information, um, so that golfers are just more informed. They can do it them. If, if they have all the information, they can probably make better decisions on their own. Right. Well, as a follow-up to that, what we're talking about is information concepts, you know, taking information and cognitively. To me, I think a lot of golfers, they just have an appalling lack of awareness of what's actually happening in their body. They're disconnected from their body because they're thinking a lot. They don't even know that they've got for sake of example, you know, white knuckle grip, they're strangling the club. They're so tense. So do you find that you have to work with golfers to make them more aware of what's actually going on in their bodies? Absolutely. I mean, even just showing um, someone a, a video of their swing so many times, it's I didn't realize I looked like that or, you know, I thought I was doing, I've been working on doing this and they see it and they go, Oh, I wasn't, I'm not doing that at all. Um, and so we really, I would say most people have very poor body awareness and it's, it's really, it's a skill. Um, and it takes, sometimes it's just, you know, there's a disconnect between what we feel and what's actually happening or just our ability to move in certain ways. It, it's just not there. We need to train that in. I know you're working out of a golf course, very fine place, actually not far from the studios I record in, uh, Credit Valley, great golf course. Um, is it difficult? I'm going to put this delicately because you have a gig and you have to see these members every day. It's not like, you know, you have a, you know, your own school and people can come and visit you and then they go home. Is it more difficult for a teaching professional to have a regular clientele who basically you take a few lessons with you and then they then they every time they see you, they're like, hey, does this look okay? You know what I mean? Where that's not really a lesson anymore, but they're just trying to sort of, you know, get some extra information as they're walking off the range toward the uh, first tee. See, I, I, I knew that resonated with you because you paused. You're like, okay, if a member from Credit Valley was listening, what would I want them to hear? No, it's fine, Howard. I love giving out free lessons all the time. Um, to me, I'm happy uh, to to make sure that people are on the right track, right. Um, that my students are on the right track. And I'd rather that we have like an open line of communication versus if there's, I, I don't want them to come back in a week or two weeks or four weeks or whatever it is and be completely going sideways. And then we're back to the beginning. And if that happens, it's probably that I haven't done a great job as a coach in clarifying, you know, the concepts and, and being clear on what needs to happen. So, Fair enough. Okay. um, yeah, that person stops you on the range. Like, no, I know that's okay. I just, I always thought it would be tough. Cause I've known Tim and I are friends with a lot of guys that teach a lot of men and women that teach. And, uh, it's a tough gig anywhere, but I've always thought it was a particularly difficult gig because you're also working for that club. That being said, one of our mutual dear friends uh, of Tim and myself is Mark Evershed. And Mark Evershed, who never worked out of a club, and not that I recall, not this, since time I've known him, his whole thing when he would meet a student was he was very clear. He's like, if you just want to have one lesson, I'm not your guy. And, and Mark made it clear that if you're going to take lessons from Mark, you're going to be seeing him for four or five times. Are you of that mind as well when you meet somebody who it wants to make some changes, Casey. In a perfect world, that would be the case, um, but it's not. And I realize that you know some people are just looking for a need a, a one off quick fix, um, and and that's okay. Um, but it's for me knowing what's the time that you're going to commit. Mm -hmm. um, what, what is it? What are your expectations? And if your expectations don't meet the time that you're going to commit, I need to make sure that you understand that, well, we, 
we can't make you hit it 50 yards farther in 30 <laughs> minutes. Maybe um, the odd time, but like, that's just not realistic. Here's what we can do. Right. Here are the solutions that I can provide to you um, because you're going out to the, to play 18 holes in 45 minutes. Um, so we're not going to change your entire swing. Maybe we're just going to change something in your setup. That's going to make you slice it a little bit less and it's not perfect, but here it is. Nice. You know, I, I, Casey, I can't let you go without asking you a, a couple of things here. And one is, um, so you have golf shoes that look like running shoes now, and then you have golf shoes, <laughs> you know, the, the, the old foot joys that the, the look amazing. Um, is there anything, any difference in the support you get or, or, and, and how important is that? Yeah, there's definitely um, some differences for sure. You can feel it when you put it on your feet, right? Um, if you if you wear that kind of running shoe, you usually feel like your foot can move a little bit more or it might have a bit more side-to-side motion. The spikes may be different, as we mentioned. Um, and again, there's not a one-size-fits-all. So that support um, from the more rigid shoe may be perfect for one player and mm-hmm. may have a, a great kind of um, chain of effects in a positive direction. It may be a little bit more detrimental to someone else that just might not perform. And so that's where maybe getting on, um, maybe getting on a force plate or um, a pressure mat or checking your swing speed um, in different conditions, not everybody has that ability. And that's like in a perfect world scenario, you could do all this experimenting, just like, um, getting fit for clubs, you get fit for shoes and FootJoy did that a little bit at one time. Um, it was something that I was really interested in, uh, when doing, um, some projects for Nike golf, um, thinking that, you know, shoe fitting would be the way of the future. Um, but it's, it's not as easy as you can't just, you know, not everybody has the ability to step on a, a pressure mat and and has the time to, um, you know, test out a whole bunch of shoes. But for, for sure, uh, what's good for one person is not necessarily great for the next. So, yeah, I, I, I got to it just occurred to me that one of the reasons why I'm intrigued by golf footwear is that I have quad E width feet. I mean, super wide. So it's always been finding shoes since I was a little kid. It's always been kind of like this traumatic experience. But uh, I guess one of the things I I wonder about is I think, you know, people will buy clubs, a certain expense to that and and balls and things. But do you think that people, a lot of people may tend to cheap out on golf shoes and it ends up being detrimental? I mean, to me – I, I look at golf shoes as, you know, a, an integral part of your equipment. Um, I'd just like you to give me your view on that. I would say more often with shoes, it's like what looks good to me. Um, you know, what, what colors are they? It's just like kind of buying a buying a fancy shirt like you two have on. Yes. Um, you like you like the look of it. You maybe you like the feel of it and you don't really think too much um, else you know, about what it's necessarily doing. Um, I would say for most people, you know, probably just like the comfort of a shoe is going to be the most important thing. If you're walking, that's what we need to get through rather than uh, for your average golfer, you know, is it going to make a huge difference whether you wear uh, one shoe versus the other? It's probably going to be, um, you know, more important that you're able to walk your 18 holes without, you know, crawling into the clubhouse no exactly <laughs> although these oscar bravo uh shirts they will have you hitting it five to ten yards further this is just what i've heard i'm not making any claims casey ward what a lovely uh chat with you we certainly appreciate you taking some time uh i don't know how it works in your world the, these days at a golf course are people if somebody listening wanted to take a lesson with you is that still possible yeah, absolutely. Uh, they can get in touch uh, with me via Instagram is a great way, um, at Casey Ward Golf. And uh, yeah, certainly always, always happy to help in whatever way I can. Well, you seem like the type that does a great job. And uh, maybe some of our listeners will come visit you at Credit Valley. Thanks, Casey. Thanks so much for having me on, guys. It's Casey Ward, Thank you. everybody. Bye-bye. Yeah, there's Casey. Very nice person. 
And a very nice professional microphone, I want to say. Very nice. Um, Absolutely. That's always made me laugh. The, uh, as I know, there's two or three guys at my course, and every course I've been at. You know, they're, you know, you've booked lessons with them. You know, Nick Turquillo, uh, a few other uh, and And, you know, I, invariably you see guys <laughs> just doing this. Hey, Nick! <laughs> you know, can you come look? Can you come look at this? Man, that's one of the reasons I could never be a teacher. I'd just be like, no! Well, one of the things also that happens for, for uh, people who give lessons at golf mm-hmm. courses is that, let's say... You know, someone goes and sees some, and it happens all the time. And so oh, yeah, I'm yeah. slicing, and they got this, you know, god awful grip for, you know, we use an obvious example. And so the pro goes, well, if you really want to fix that, uh, we got to work with your grip here a bit. So someone will, will they'll, they'll go, oh my God, this feels awkward. And they'll go out and they'll shoot a million and say, oh, the pro wrecked my swing. He's terrible. <laughs> and they'll never go again to him again. And then you know, it'd be like, you know, these dogs in the dog park that kind of like around each other. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's always awkward when you're going to like, and, and I, I apologize if you just said this because I'm, uh, I was reading a note here from my doctor. Um, taking, were you talking about taking one, a lesson from one guy and then going to the other guy? No, I was just saying oh, okay. that you, you took a lesson and, and, a lot of people go, well, the pro messed my game up. <laughs> That's right. Um, no, I was thinking, too, because, you know, like I've taken some lessons, uh, you know, range sessions. Hey, Nick, coming, you know, for over the years. Nick's been there as one of the best teachers I've ever met. But I, I don't work with him regularly. I just do it the odd time. You know, if I'm on the range, I say, you got to, I'll pay him, you know, give me a, actually more with putting than my full swing lately. But when sometimes when Nick's not there, there's been another kid there, uh, Sean Carlino, who's a great teacher. And I'm always worried that Nick's going to see me. It's like, <laughs> it's like uh, that, I think as a Seinfeld episode where you, you, know, you, you don't want to break up with your barber. Exactly. And I'm always like, okay, quickly, let's do the lesson quick. I don't want, I don't want Nick to think I'm cheating on him. Can we go behind the cart barn? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. That's really funny, dude. Um, Yes, okay, very good. No, I was just saying I have a, uh, my uh, cardiologist, I sent them a note yesterday and they found an opening for me to come check out my heart, which is not 100%. I'm just putting that out there. No. No, no, it's not. What's up, amigo? Well, Senor Tim, uh, mi corazón, uh, a, a pequeño mal, a little bit uh, sick sometimes. I'm having a... I think I mentioned it when I was in Mexico. I was at um, 6,000 feet. And my heart, which has had a bit of an issue over the last few years, uh, was getting, you know, having a little bit of uh, some tachycardia at times. It doesn't matter. Uh, but I'll just, so I'm one, I thought, you know, I'm having some here now that I'm not at altitude. So I want to go check it out and see what it is. Oh, well, good luck, brother. Yeah, man. Yeah. Oh, and here's another great note I just looked at. Uh, more importantly, from more TaylorMade. Than your heart. Yes. More important than your heart. Okay. Yeah. My I'm new waiting. My new putters arrived. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's see if we finish at 1130. Can I get up there at noon? Okay. All right. Juggling. I may, I may go get the new putter today. Ooh. If not tomorrow. Yes. Um. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm glad we talked to Casey. I think there is a, a maybe a longer conversation about, uh, you know, just the idea that people are, you know, we've been talking a lot this spring about the nature of change and people changing their swings and making changes that they can commit to. And, and I think seeing someone like her for a lot of people would be great because she could say, okay, this is the change you want to make in your swing, but here's some physical limitations you have. And I thought what you said about was really good about most people and that's a shoemaker thing too most people lose track of the golf they lose track of their golf swing shortly after it leaves the launch pad that's right yeah shoemaker has a great metaphor he says it's like someone's riding a horse and they come up to you and they say have you seen my horse (laughs) (laughs) that's great oh that is funny um yeah like i i remember reading that i i'm 
I mean, I haven't talked to Freddie as much as you, but had conversations with the guy and we've had those discussions about where, you know, whether I read it or maybe we've talked about it on the show a little bit, but like, where do you, if you're saying to yourself, okay, I want to feel, I don't know, I want to start turning quicker in my backswing and then you get over the ball, where in the motion do you lose track of that? Can you, can you hold that? Or as Fred would say, how long can you hold that thought? And, and I know you've done some coaching around that too. It's fascinating. Well, the, the thing is, is that our, our brains work so fast. I mean, that's one of the things that came out in the conversations uh, we had with Izzy justice and in his, his interview with um, Carl Morris is the whole idea of of how long can you hold the target? Because our minds just jump so so freaking fast. Yes, and so it it a lot of it comes down to, you know, what is your intention and what is where where are you placing your attention? Yes, and I think the reason that people um, cannot stay with the feeling of their golf swing is that they're not fully committed to placing their attention, let's say, on the physicality of what they're doing. If you're thinking, you know, I I hope this, you know, I hope I par this hole, I hope I hit the draw I'm looking for, whatever, your brain works so fast that it'll just flit off anywhere. Yes. But if you're able to maintain that a a physical presence, I'm going to maintain the feeling of my hands on the club, the feeling of the club head swinging, you know, that's easier to maintain. Yeah, and and Fred Schumacher said that, uh, yeah, to your point, that most human beings, you know, even if it's a small little thing, I want to see if I can feel, you know, my thumb on the grip all the way through my swing. Most of us lose it somewhere in the backswing, and it's gone. And think about that, as you just explained, you know, what, what is it that you can hold, you know, as your attention? I was having this discussion with somebody on the Humble and Fred show uh, who does guided meditation. And I said, you know, I've tried both uh, non-guided and guided. And one of the things I like about guided meditation is it helps to refocus when I lose my attention. Whereas sometimes when I'm doing it on my own, and I do both some days, you know, I, I literally minutes will go by and I'm like, oh yeah, I was supposed to be meditating. <laughs> exactly. Was yeah, I supposed to be meditating? You know, yeah, uh. next thing you know, you're. it's like, well, I want to have this for dinner, yeah. so I better, better get this. Did I send Timmy that email? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. and, and next thing you know, I've been sitting there for five minutes, but but that's okay. I mean, a lot of people will say to me, oh, that means I suck at meditation. No, you well, don't. It just means your your mind is busy that day. And the thing with guided meditation especially the Sam Harris app that I have had now for uh, months. My buddy. I've had, and I've had for six weeks. And actually, I subscribed. Thank you. Attaboy. Um, I, you know, I, I had been using the Dan Harris app, which was great. Uh, and then on the recommend of my buddy Grant McDougall, I guess I just looked at it, I'm like 134 days. And, what, and they're all, some of the sessions are 10 minutes. Some are longer, but... Um, I find being guided through it really helps to remind me of what I'm doing, why I'm there. It just keeps me a little bit more in the moment. Yeah, you still your your mind still wanders, but then all of a sudden, um, a few seconds will go by, and then he'll come back on and say, "Okay, you know, if your mind's wandering, oh yeah, it was. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it was." Well, you know what's interesting about that is that for for a while there, because I do a lot of coaching around, you know, awareness. That's what the, you know, this new course I'm starting up May 10th is about. I have it right here. I'm going to give it a big plug. Quiet mind. Oh, thank you. The quiet mind course, everybody. Okay. We'll get to that. But, um, I, it was my, I would argue that, well, I don't, why do I need a guided meditation? That's not going to help me when I'm in the 15th tee at blue Springs thinking, can I get this round to the house without imploding? Or, I'm in a very slow moving, you know, line in the Starbucks drive through. Um, that's not going to help because I'm not going to have this voice intoning to me to, you know, just let it go or something. But I've started to see that it's a nice balance of both. You know, if I could do my own stuff, just sit there, focus on breath. But 
There's also an aspect, and this is a friend of mine said that with a guided meditation, it's more like surrendering to that process. It's it's kind of like letting my ego just go and someone else is is going to take charge here. And that's a, and actually a really good process of just, in essence, surrendering, letting letting go that way. So, yeah, I can see that. I mean, I don't that that doesn't resonate so much with me in terms of the guided because I found that with the guided meditation, I'm getting more out of the meditation in general. It's bleeding into other parts of my life, whether I did it on my own or not. That's the ego part. The the idea that, that and 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 Sam's very much about. You know, being aware of what consciousness is. And, and I mean, listen, I'm sure I'm not discounting what you said. It's just that to me, it doesn't resonate in terms of when I do it on my own, you know, I'm learning more than when I don't. I just know this for my kind of mind. I like the idea that somebody is reminding me to stop planning, you know, what I'm going to do for the rest of the day. Yeah, yeah. I will say this. He like on on the. You'll find the app. I, I you know, if you have any questions about it, because there's a really cool section in it. There's lots of talks. There's lots of not just all meditation. It's some great, you know, talks about awareness. But there's also a uh, little area there where you can just. It has a meditation timer. You can set it for ten, yep. fifteen, thirty, and, and and just do it on your own without any guide. It's just funny here that there's some people right in front of my. Uh, my building here is like they've literally stopped they're having a beautiful conversation but uh it's like could you stop somewhere where we weren't recording a podcast see i am back stop distracting me can i stay focused on what i'm talking about at first i thought my mind (laughs) drifting away at first i'm like are there women in my house and why don't i know about that um anyway i wanted to uh just uh bring uh, another update i've spent uh i didn't golf very much the weather here has sucked Oh my God! But yes. uh, April, April, yep. April, and um, last Friday it was a pretty decent day, so I thought, okay, I better get out because there won't be very many days this weekend. And I had my fourth uh, round using uh, Richard Zokal as a resource. You know, pretty cool actually. And I wrote him an evaluation of that round, and um, it was interesting because. From a purely scoring on a golf course round, it was, say, less than one of my better rounds. But I would tell you from a a mind track process round, it was one of the best I've had because I learned so much about being using mind track. But I learned so much about the, the, um, you know, they they say you you learn more when you have, uh, you never, what's that phrase you've used before? Never learned anything. I uh, never a, learned anything on a good day. Exactly. <laughs> so I just wanted to share a couple of the highlights, not shots so much, but just it was a cold day at the start. It was like, and I was out with a good buddy of mine, Kent Osborne, scratch attitude, super guru guy, great guy. And uh, he's one of those guys like you and I. In between shots, we just talk nonstop. We just talk, talk, talk. We're walking <laughs> along. It was great. But no warm up. I'd been working out a little bit last week, and, and I'm, I've definitely. You know, being away in the winter, I forgot how much everything hurts. Shoulders, knees, feet, back. You know, I was in this fantasy land of like, I feel great. (laughs) You know, I did all winter long. I was like, my back doesn't hurt very much. My shoulders are great. Then you get back here and it's like, God dang. So everything hurt. No warm up. Yeah, I did some stretches and whatever. Ten or maybe ten, eight minutes of stretching and thought I was ready. But from the very first swing I made, I literally pull hooked my way around this golf course. It's my own golf course. And, but I was doing the assessment and the execution and I was doing it to the best of my ability. And, and I was sore. I just felt sore and I couldn't make very good motion, all that stuff. So here's what I decided early on in the round. I would decide that let's say this was a, a qualifier it's a qualifier and you know because it happens sometimes under pressure we all lose our swings and rather than try and figure out why my swing was a bit off i could just tell if it's cold sore old you know <laughs> i thought okay i know what my i will i will try and do this mind track thing the best i can 
make a, I'll make the best assessments I can. And as I said to Zokal the next day, all the executions were sucking. <laughs> but because I wasn't invested on what score I made, I was just going to, I just, I, I tried, it was like one of those rounds where I literally tried on every shot to make every shot a separate event. And I had a secondary goal because I said, oh, I'm going to pretend this is a qualifier. I'm going to say to myself, I'll do everything I can to keep the damage down, to mitigate, you know, to not make doubles, to not three putt, because sometimes, and we've all experienced this, when it's not going well, then all our other processes become a little bit diminished. We don't try as hard. We, th- exactly. we say things like, oh, I wouldn't normally hit this shot, but you know, it doesn't fucking matter. We do those things. I've done them. You've done them. But I said to myself, no, I'm going to pretend this is something that this was a, a, a round that I wanted to play well in and found out that I wasn't or my swing was a little bit wonky. What could I do to, to shoot the lowest score I could? And to that end, I had three different times in the round where I made three bogeys in a row. And one time I made four bogeys in a row. But I never made worse than a bogey. I never made a double. I made one birdie. I had one three putt and I shot 81. And I can tell you from having, I had a long talk with Zokla about this and he loved it. I said, if another version of me would have been aggravated, tried to fix my swing, um, I'm long past getting mad, but I would have given up somewhere and I would have shot 87 if we were keeping score. At some point I would have said, I'm not keeping score anymore. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, exactly. So that's why I thought it was an interesting uh, discussion point, because I I decided to stay in it, even though, yeah, I was just not like every like I said, everything was not working except for the fact that I could I could give it the kind of attention like it was. Well, (laughs) you know, I got to. When you first started talking about you're pull hooking everything and you didn't feel well and it just wasn't going well, what my mind immediately went to was like, well, F mind track. I got to figure out what's going on here. Yeah. And that is what I have done historically. And I, and I would just say the majority of golfers, despite an intention, go to the, to the first tee that they're going to say follow say a process so this will be my intention for the day once it starts to go off the rails they abandon it and go searching for something else so what i think is awesome is that you stayed with it and to me that is that is just key to developing in anything is is staying with it rather than than abandoning it because you're absolutely right because once you let one thing go yeah lots of stuff goes oh yeah that's why when when a a golfer loses focus it's just it it takes almost herculean will to get it back and it's almost impossible so i just I'm, i'm just applauding the fact that you stayed with it and just the other thing i wanted to add was i love the um i don't know what to call it the um, approach you took in that, yeah, I didn't shoot very well the score, but you know what? I learned a ton about yeah. myself. Now, isn't that amazing? The opportunity to golf and actually the rest of life presents to us is that not everything is going to turn out the way we want, you know, whatever it is, but you can learn from everything and you can go forward with that rather than just driving home beating the shit out of yourself because you didn't break, you know, 80, 90, 100 that day. Well, and what I said to Ken, because Ken was having a pretty nice day, um, you know, I don't know, whatever, whatever he shot, 76, 77. And I said to him, because we were talking about that, he asked me, he started asking me, what is it you're writing down? And then we talked about it later. And I said, nothing is easier than golf. I shouldn't say nothing. Golf, everything is easy, you know, decade and mind track or whatever it is you're doing. It's all easy when things are going well. Exactly. It's easy to stick to it. And um, and one of the things that Zilko wrote to me, he said, uh, an important part of mind track is having a complete commitment to the process, even exactly. on days when things don't go well. This is the acceptance part of being able to progress forward. The key is holding the line as you are doing, which conditions your playing perspective. Because exactly. I want to be, be better 
in a tournament when oftentimes my swing goes sideways. I don't turn as well. I don't release as well, etc. And then what happens is that informs my ability to continue to make decisions based on individual shots. The difference between this and decade, because I know I love decade, I do. In fact, I had a new decade client uh, last week. So I'm still a big decade advocate. But what this does for me in terms of conditioning me, as he said, this is the we're reconditioning your playing perspective. Because I know and I can think of many tournaments last summer, senior amateur in, in particular, where I didn't have it on full flush. And then I was making decisions, you know, trying to get it back. And they were all emotional. And I shot a million. This particular um, way of le- or learning to think this way is to mitigate those days when things aren't going well because 81 was the best I could have shot that day. I, because I, I, I could, you know, it's not like I was trying extra hard to mommy and daddy, but I was giving each <laughs> shot the same kind of um, consideration I was if I was as, as if I was three under. I was just making it a neutral decision. Not the fact that at one point I bogeyed four holes in a row. Not that that's a big deal, but some of those bogeys were just horrible. <laughs> like I had a yeah, hundred. You're 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 scratched plus golfer. So bogeys in a row is, <laughs> was, is a lot. But, but they yeah. were gross. Like I hit a great drive in this par five. I hit a great second shot, 138 yards to the green, and blocked it into a like it was horrible. But I still I still went over to the shot, tried to get it up and down, didn't make it, and I made a bogey. What I didn't do is try and get too cute with that shot, hit it over the green, chip back, and make a double. I decided that. The, the day was my success on that day was could I try on every shot, even though my swing felt weird and not make a double? Because I'll tell you, I, I parred the last five holes in a row to shoot 81. Nice. Mm. So that just shows me and then and, and, and I were talking about it. That just shows me that I kept trying right to the end, which is what you need to do. If you're going to play in your club championship, if you're going to play in your qualifiers, Whatever thing you're going to play in that has some significance to you, the hardest thing to do is keep trying when you know it's fucking shit. No, absolutely. So, no, but that's so laudable. Um, So, just in closing, what you can kind of put this word to it is that in essence, what you're doing is reprogramming yourself. Yes. You had, and I love the way that, that, that Dick Zokel has has cottoned on years ago to this thing of our conditioned response. Yes. This happens, you know, have someone like you get in an argument with someone, well, they lose their shit. Cause what they always lose their shit, whatever. Or something happens and they go, Oh, I suck. Conditioned response. It's the way they've been their whole life. So if we become aware that, okay, we want to change this. It's not just from a knowledge or awareness. You've read a book or two and that you're going to change. It's, it's in essence, integrating this new way of being and the way that happens is doing things like you're doing there mm-hmm. is using some kind of a, a tool like mind track in which you're responding in a different way so you're so what i'm saying here is that you stayed with the program it would have been so easy to abandon it and fallen on your old ways but you're integrating these new ways and that's how we go forward because all of our thinking is past-based Yes, All the agree. nonsense that's happened. So if you want to change anything, you have to go forward in essence, keep it in front of you. So, Well, I appreciate it. I, I appreciate the lotting. Uh, I'm, I just thought it would the be lotting. a good, a little the lotting, the lottery. No, I appreciate the lottery. It's laudatory. Um, laudatory. Um, I, I chair it mainly because I, I want people to know that, you know, I'm still, you know, you're, you're a coach and I'm still a player trying to find new ways to, uh, to go forward. And I think this is, I, I, I get nothing out of this other than, and you can't, here's the thing about mind track right now. Um, I don't even think the app, they've paused the, uh, some stuff on the app right now. I'm not even trying to sell it to people. I'm just trying to sell the idea that it's all easy peasy to be meditating and feeling good. And then you go into traffic and it sucks. It's when traffic sucks that meditation is helpful because you don't do what you said. You don't, you don't have that knee jerk reaction. That's right. Well, it it's very nice to have a practice where you know if you sit on the side of your bed for two minutes, or you sit on a on a pillow uh, with a candle for twenty minutes with your eyes shut. That's all great, but 
Can you take it into traffic? Can yeah, you maybe. take it when you're talking to your 14 year old daughter? Can you take it into the workplace? That's where it counts. And then particularly, you know, also on the golf course is how aware are you of what's of what you're actually doing, saying, thinking, feeling. If you're not aware of what's going on, then you're kind of in your old shit. Yeah. Not that it's bad, but if you want to change it and if you want to respond in ways that are appropriate and serve you and take you forward, you got to be aware of what you're, what you're doing rather than falling back into the knee-jerk stuff. And listen, the GSL has been saying this for years. Everybody thinks today in golf is the day that nothing bad's going to happen. Exactly. Everyone thinks that on the first tee, and I've, I've made this joke before about how people think that they're just going to sneak up on golf and they want to be like on the third or fourth hole before, they, before golf knows that they're there. Exactly. And, and, and what this uh, mind track does has, has reminded me, because I've been thinking like this, Golf starts on that first hole, and you better be ready to play it because on that first hole, as I found out last Friday, you know, I smother hooked that drive, and all of a sudden I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I haven't smother hooked a drive for quite some time. Well, look, I've smother hooked another shot, and on and on. It's, it's when you get stuck in traffic. I'm just changing the yeah. screen here is when you get stuck stuck in traffic is when that this stuff is the most valuable and why I brought up the tournament thing is tournament I have I've never played a golf tournament rarely have I played a golf tournament where my swing felt anywhere as good as it does on say an average day day just playing with you or somebody hanging around and and I realize now you know guess what it's not going to but you can still right. score you know, I was a couple lipped out putts, one three putt and from shooting 77, 78, which, by the way, if that were a qualifier, 78 gets you in 77 right. for sure. So that's why I was using it for that purpose. Uh, I've written down the quiet mind course. I got invited to it. Thank you very much. The quiet. I realize I'm on your mailing list. But uh, let's quickly. We got four minutes to talk about quiet mind course. It gets underway when. Uh, it starts May the 10th. Uh, it's going to be every Wednesday. Uh, I'm going to offer it at noon. If there's, uh, if there's enough people, we'll do a Wednesday evening as well, 7 p.m. Basically, what it's going to teach you is how to adapt elements of mindfulness to golf. So a lot of things that we've talked about today is using developing the skills so that you can, in essence, stop yourself from getting into that um, rabbit hole of mechanics or just bad thinking, judging yourself. I suck all this. So you can stay present and, you know, avoid those disaster holes and those, those bad rounds and just, just draw on that natural skill and talent and experience you have. Um, so yeah, that's largely what the course does is teaches people how to, how to meditate, how not to think they don't know how to meditate. Like how many people have you met who say, Oh, I'm not very good at meditation. <laughs> no, it's not about clearing your mind, man. No. It's about being aware of what's going on. So go to my website, O'ConnorGolf.ca, uh, information there. And um, yeah, it's I think it's reasonably priced and you get a lot out of it. That's nice. I saw golf. the price. It's, it's, uh, it's, worth it. it's worth it at twice that price. Oh, there you go. Thank you. Um, and uh, listen, thanks very much to uh, our guest, um, Casey Ward. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I didn't have, have it in front of me. <laughs> Completely forgot our guest name. Yeah, I did. So what? <laughs> and because that was a half an hour ago. Uh, who is OscarBravo.com? Well, we are finding out by getting a chance to wear these unique uh, lifestyle brand polos. Find out for yourself at whoisoscarbravo.com. And, of course, as always, brought to you by our very, very good friends, TaylorMade and the new Spider GTX putter, which I'll be waving at you next Wednesday. The all-new Spider GTX from TaylorMade. Experience the power of putting with better stability and alignment. Who doesn't need that? To learn more, visit TaylorMadeGolf.ca. Uh, Timothy, always a pleasure, my friend, to be with you. And uh, another, you, sir. another one in the books. Yeah, keep me posted on uh, on what your your doctor says regarding the heart thing. All the best, there, pal. Me corazon. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, listen, I, I, I can't. 
Everything's got to be fine. I have a new putter now. Exactly. <laughs> Who's our uh, guest next week? Do you know? I think it's... Uh, you know the name probably Arlo Guthrie. No, I think... It, Arlo Guthrie not, is coming back from the dead? No, it's not Arlo Guthrie. No, it's not his dad either. It's... Um, <laughs> how I got... Arlo Guthrie out of Sasha McKenzie. Yeah. I don't know. Sasha. Hey, kids, did you hear that? Sasha freaking McKenzie that's with right. us I'm next week. Podcast. Yeah, there's a guy that's got some ideas about how you can hit it farther. We'll find out all about Sasha and Stack and so much more. Until next week, thanks, everybody. Get on the place. Oh, but the horns.